Uh, welcome to the Sword and Trial. The Sword and Trial is a podcast of Founders Ministries and Founders Exist for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of local churches. Today, we have the privilege of having a special guest here in the studio, Chris Marley, who has written this wonderful book called Scarlet and White that looks at the metaphor of the bride and the groom, the bride of Christ, and how God has used that metaphor from Old Testament all the way through the New Testament to tell the one story of redemption. And so Chris sits down with Graham and me and tells us about how this book came to be, how many years it took him to bring it to completion, and even some of the struggles of getting it published once it had already been written. But by God's grace and kindness, it has come off the press recently, and we still have it available for a pre-publication special. You'll hear more about that in the podcast. So we encourage you to uh, pass this around, invite others to hear from this author, this pastor out in Arizona, and to learn about this wonderful resource for pastors, for serious Christians, for those contemplating marriage and those who are married who want to think more deeply about how God ordained marriage in order to tell a story of redemption. Welcome to the Sword and Trial. The Sword and Trial is a podcast of Founders Ministries, and Founders exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of local churches. I'm Tom Askell. I'm Graham Gundon. We're delighted to have you join us today, and we're delighted to welcome into the studio here in what used to be sunny southwest Florida, <laughs> but we're currently experiencing a deluge of rain. Uh, Chris Marley, all the way from rainless Arizona, right? Right. Yeah, Chris, glad to have you with us. And you're the pastor of Miller Valley Baptist Church in Prescott. Arizona. Yeah, that's Did right. Did I get that right? Yeah, Prescott like biscuit. Okay, yeah. So it's Prescott, not Prescott. Sorry. So uh, how long have you been there as pastor? I've been there for 14 years now. Okay. As pastor or? Yeah, so okay. I came as an associate pastor and then... Uh, I was supposed to have five years, and then the senior pastor, who's also named Chris Marley, was going to retire. <laughs> and what uh, a coincidence! Instead, I went up becoming the senior pastor about two years in, oh. and then uh, we just refused to allow him to retire. But yeah, and so you are now serving with your dad in uh, Miller Valley, and you have been the senior pastor, and he's been your associate for fourteen years. Is that right? Sixteen. Sixteen uh, years. Fourteen years. Yeah, I've been there for 14, so uh, I've been senior pastor for about 12. 12, okay, I got it. So you yeah. came as associate. And uh, where were you before you came? Uh, seminary. Okay. So I went and did my MDiv over at Westminster Seminary, California, back when uh, IRBS was still there right. with Dr. Renahan. And uh, it was. It was an amazing three years of drinking from the fire hydrant and trying yeah. to stay alive. <laughs> and how, how, long, how long was your dad uh, pastor at Miller Valley before that. He was there for five years before okay. that, and then prior to that, he was actually at a little town in uh, Arizona called Concho, Yeah, and uh, so that's where I was born and raised. Okay. So. Miller Valley Baptist Church, I first uh, knew of it back when Bob Self was the pastor 30 years ago, 40 years ago. I don't remember how long. Yeah, something long time like that. Ago. Yeah, and uh, Bob at that time was in the SBC, Miller Valley was in the SBC, and he wrote this book on uh, Southern Baptists and the Doctrine of Election. And we got it mailed out, or he got it mailed out to, I think, nearly every church in the convention. Wow. And, yeah, you know, you can imagine the responses. <laughs> uh, the association, the Southern Baptist Association there, this is a little footnote in history for anybody that wants to dig down into it, actually brought Bob up on heresy charges. Yeah. Wow. Isn't that crazy? I mean, a, a Southern Baptist entity of any sort bringing up 
any anybody, <laughs> anybody for anything, you know. But that gives you a little bit of insight into uh, what the hostility was back in those days toward the doctrine of election or anything mm-hmm. associated with that. So those are long past, and now you have been there for 14 years, 12, as the lead pastor. Yeah. Yeah, great. And it's been quite the journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we were reminiscing a little bit about uh, when you and I met, and you were, you were telling me that it was uh, back in the 90s. Yeah. And it didn't dawn on me until after that conversation that you, you must have been like three years old or something, <laughs> you know, but uh, maybe a little older than that. And, and up until that moment, you know, Chris Marley, I've been thinking about your dad. Yeah. Because your dad's the one that I knew. And so all along this way, I wasn't even... You concerned. thought you were publishing his father's That's right. Book. So tell your, your dad, well done you know, uh, in that. But I think it's a neat story how you went there to be an associate with your dad, and he's an associate, and yeah. you're 12 years in. Yeah. And so, yeah, so these ties go way back, right? Yeah. Founders was doing the conference out there in Texas yeah. all those years ago. So, so make sure you bring your kids to the Founders mm-hmm. Conference. That's right. Because mm-hmm. you never know if they'll wind up writing a book. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I've actually met several other uh, guys who are, some of them are pastors, but others are, are just very active servants in their church and other capacities who grew up going to sleep under the pews at Founders Conferences, you know, they have some fun stories to tell about that. Well, we want to talk about your book, and we have this available now. It's been a wonderful experience getting it finally off of the press, and Chris, I'm sure you must feel that way far more than we do, because we've been involved with you for the last year or so on this, but tell us about the genesis of this book and the idea and then man i mean the journey because it's been a long journey yeah. to get this to print and I'll, I'll try to keep that as as brief as i can but i mean there's there's so much backstory to this right because yeah. um i've i've always loved writing i've always been engaged with that ever since i was a kid trying to write a novel before while i was in grade school and uh getting a poem published before i even hit high school and my background, oddly enough, was actually in theater. I did my yeah. bachelor's degree at ASU and was working as a playwright and a spoken word poet. And I was headlong into the things of the world. And God dragged me out of that, yeah. uh, brought me to an end of myself, and did such an incredible work of grace in my life, in my heart. So I identify as a sinner saved by grace, right? That's, mm. that's who I am. And as soon as God started calling me into ministry, I thought, well, maybe I'll at least be able to write and I'll be able to produce literature. And then I got into Westminster, California to do my MDiv. And it was just overwhelming to see everything's been written, right? (laughs) You you walk through the libraries and you see the incredible amount of literature that we've seen developed in 2000 years of the history of the church. And I thought, okay, well, they don't really need me. <laughs> and there's more intelligent guys than I am that are writing right now. And so I thought, all right, you know what? I'm not going to try to write uh, unless I find something that hasn't been written on. Come to my middle year, I'm called, I'm engaged to be married. I'm just over the moon in love with my wife. Still am. And I was going through Doctrine of Church, and they gave us pretty much free reign on picking a paper, and I picked The Bride of Christ. I thought, that'll be a fun study, you know, since I'm, you know, about to get married, and this is all that my brain is churning through all the time is is the amazing nature of the covenants of marriage. 
And as I dove into all of the literature to try to find references to this, I realized it was something that hadn't been written on. And so by the time I graduated, I talked to Dr. James Renahan and I said, this is something I think can be written on. This is something I think would be a beautiful project. And in his wisdom, he said, take your time. Don't try to just, you know, pour all of your time and energy into writing. Make sure that you invest in your church and mm. that you pour into that and just grow and find your own voice as a pastor. And so I just started picking away. And over 10 years, I finally got the book written and wound up in a neat relationship with Wrath and Grace and started working on publishing with them. And they had a whole series of delays. It wasn't their fault. They had one editor that wound up quitting. And then it was a long, long story. But got through three years of that. And then right as we were ready to publish, we have the cover. They're finishing up the formatting. Everything's ready to go. And Jay kept telling me, you know, we've got something that if it works out, it'll be really cool and it'll affect your book. But I don't want to tell you until we know whether or not it's going to happen. <laughs> and that's, you know, such a bizarre cryptic kind of conversation to yeah, keep having. Yeah. And then he finally was like, hey, we worked out a deal to co-publish with founders. We think this is going to be great. Are you on board? And I was like, founders, that'd be fantastic, you know, because I didn't think you guys would even read it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that doesn't mean we wouldn't publish it. So. <laughs> You said you read it, right? <laughs> well, that's fascinating. Yeah, well, I, again, when we first heard about the book, and again, I'm thinking your dad, you know, Chris yeah. Marley, I said, oh, he's a good guy. Yeah, let's read, let's get this. And everybody agreed to do it as we vetted it. And, uh, man, we were happy to be able to jump in at the last minute and to see this thing brought to completion. And the, the folks here at Founders that kind of shepherded it all the way through, you know, we're very grateful for it as well. So, Summarize the book in about two minutes. Now, you spent <laughs> 10 years writing it, so now you get two minutes to summarize it. This is the story of Christ and his church. God tells us theology largely through metaphors. He understands as our creator that we love stories. And from the beginning, we see that marriage was designed to be a covenantal relationship but it was also a living metaphor for Christ and the gospel. And so you have this bi-directional relationship wherein we learn about marriage from Christ and the church, and we learn about Christ and the church from marriage. And so this book just started out as a project to explore that metaphor, and it evolved into a biblical theology that winds up telling that story. We often talk about scripture as a love letter from God to his church. And in a way, this is kind of my love letter in response mm. of the beauty of grace that has been shown to me. That is the same story for all of God's people. Yeah. Yeah. And it is the one way uh, that God's provided for sinners to be reconciled to Amen. himself through Christ from the beginning. And uh, that's a, that's a wonderful truth that's revealed in scripture and it's something we can no longer assume uh, we have to constantly be pulling it back out and recognizing that what we have in any one part of the bible is uh, a part of a whole story and it fits and uh, yeah you've done a great job with this metaphor of the bride of christ and the and the church and seeing how god has always had a people and is determined to bring those people safely home 
And it turns up all of these beautiful doctrines that we have poured over since the days of the Reformation, right, that are so rich and so deep, concepts of predestination, concepts of of atoning love, concepts of grace alone, mm-hmm. right? And all of that winds up uh, bleeding through the page, so to speak, mm-hmm. as we examine this metaphor to really think about a prearranged marriage, mm-hmm. right, is really what we're looking at in the doctrine of election mm-hmm. and so on. Yeah, that's wonderful. So I'm interested in the uh, title of the book. <laughs> well, actually, the original title was way longer. Um, <laughs> you, you've been reading a lot of Puritans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. wait. And, and we actually have a subtitle that's that's actually put into, like you have to turn in a couple of pages to actually find the full title that's there on uh, a practical examination of biblical theology focusing on Christ and his church, the metaphor of the ideal husband. And his princess bride, right? (laughs) And uh, my original title was actually uh, The Ideal Husband and His Princess Bride, which was kind of a double allusion to Oscar Wilde and to uh, the great novel that got turned into a movie, The Princess Bride, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And that... My my weird sense of humor kind of bleeds through. I managed to keep most of it in the footnotes. <laughs> I really so owe don't you guys, skip the footnotes. I owe you guys a great debt of gratitude for not deleting all of my footnotes. Um, I, <laughs> yeah, but that that you got to have a good Puritan right mm-hmm. back title mm-hmm. to all of that. You can tell uh, you you probably took a couple classes with James Renahan. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly, and. Yeah, actually, my uh, my bibliography is I I managed to to fill that out so much with such beautiful history tying back into the Puritans and going all the way back to first and second Clement. Mm. So, mm. and I, the the title of your bibliography is some I forget it now. It's, it's clever. Why I hate footnotes or how I learned to hate footnotes <laughs> or love footnotes or something. Yeah, well, I can't remember what you called it. But it's, uh, yeah. And yeah. my uh, my introduction or my recommendations was people I convinced to say nice things yeah, about my that's book. Right. So. Well, I, I tell you, you do have some wonderful people who have recommended this. You you got uh, Dr. David Ventrunen, uh, Ramon Perone up in Quebec. You got Mark Chansky, pastor in Holland, Michigan. Um, Jim Adams out in Cornerstone, Arizona, and then you got Dustin Battles. Um, and Dustin Battles. His recommendation is, I'm a big name. I'd be willing to endorse you. So, uh, you know, it's great. you got to get it for that reason alone. Yeah, I, I mean, should say he's actually a pastor over in Ohio <laughs> and a dear brother in Christ. And I really felt like I probably should have put his, you know, church name and all <laughs> There's of that nothing stuff else, in. Just Dustin but Dustin. it's so much funnier this way, right? <laughs> I'm interested. Um, you know, Scripture obviously has so much uh, rich language concerning God and his bride. But a lot of this comes from the Old Testament. Um, in Old Covenant. I'm interested in your covenant theology and how you see that, tracing the that through from Old Testament to New Testament, what we see in Ephesians 5, um, and the connection there. Because obviously there are some systems in which you know, that wouldn't really work. You know, The bride of God in the Old Testament is not the same bride as the bride of the God in the New Testament. Right, and one of the problems with that is you make God a polygamist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and we're really tracing out the same bride, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you're really, you're getting to see a coalescing of the bride mm-hmm. as she is grown and she's matured. And we have hints at that very concept 
in the same metaphor that are presented to us in the concept of scripture, right? Where we see the, in the prophets this imagery of, of the bride in infancy, of the bride being matured and grown and developed into the beautiful bride that she's meant to be. And one of the most extraordinary elements about the nature of God's love for his church, for his bride, is how in earthly marriage, we tend to first find our wife and be attracted to our bride, right? Because she is beautiful. I'm, mm. I, my wife still laughs about the fact that when she came down the aisle on our wedding day, I just came unraveled. I was just, <laughs> I was just in absolute awe of this woman. And I still am every time I see her. But when we look at earthly marriage, we often fall in love with our brides. And we think of the bride being at the most beautiful on the day of her wedding. But God's love makes us beautiful mm -hmm. as the church. He loves us at our worst, our poorest, right? We talk about for richer or poorer, for better or for worse. We're at our worst. We're at our poorest. We are at our sickest. We are dead in trespasses and sins. And God loves us into our richest and our most beautiful and our best. Amen. Amen. You know, you can see that too uh, reflected in some wonderful, healthy marriages that have lasted a long time. Uh, I've, I've noticed that in couples that have been married 50 years and love Jesus, love each yeah. other. And in the eyes of the husband, you just see it. You know, it's like my wife's never been more beautiful than now. And yeah. there's, there's this glow from this woman who physically and according to all the worldly standards, you say, well, no, she's not as mm. beautiful as she used to be. But there is a beauty that just can't even be measured mm. over time. Absolutely. And yeah, Leah is the absolute joy of my life. And the book's dedicated to her, yeah. right? Because in the context of our marriage, we have gotten to learn more and more about the gospel, about what it means mm -hmm. to love and be loved because we love because he first loved us. Mm -hmm. And in mm -hmm. a sense, that summarizes what we're trying to examine here. Right? Yeah. We'd like to invite you to join us for the Founders National Conference coming up next year, January 18th through the 20th. This next year's theme is on remembering Christ Jesus. And uh, Tom Askell, Conrad and Bayway, Phil Johnson, Travis Allen, and Joel Beakey will be our speakers. It's going to be a wonderful time. There still is early bird pricing through the end of the month until April 30th. You can register for the conference at founders.org slash conference. And we're in the middle of having a wonderful conversation with Chris Marley, the author of Scarlet and White. And if you would like to get a copy of Scarlet and White, they are still on pre-pub sale for $14.98. You can get those on our website at founders.org. And we're also doing a giveaway. Uh, we're going to give away five different copies, signed copies from Chris Marley to those who uh, share this podcast and tag Founders Ministries on their social media platforms. So you said earlier that the, uh, the marriage between Yahweh and his bride is a lesson to us about what, you know, what our marriages should be, but then also our marriages are sometimes a lesson to us about what the relationship between Christ and the church is. So do you see this book as being, would it be useful for those uh, couples who are maybe considering getting married or who are on the way to marriage? Would it be useful for a pastor in marriage counseling? Yes. Yeah. So All the a, above. Okay. <laughs> All right. right. So this, there's sections here, right? Especially as I go through Ephesians, I've even got sections that specifically talk to, look, if you're single and you're considering being married someday, 
this is your homework, right? Mm. And if you are newlyweds, this is your homework. If you're the husband, if you're the bride, this is your homework. We learn about what Christ in the church is by studying marriage, but we we learn how to be married. We learn what that covenantal relationship is through the context of Scripture. And so this is covenant theology, right? As you mm-hmm. said before, right? We're, we're going to trace out what it means to be in a covenant of grace and how that contrasts with the covenant of works. It's going to be a lot of biblical theology, obviously, throughout, but there's a lot of practical elements that are there to where even if you're a single person and, and God's called you to that blessed singleness, there's still so much material here, uh, and it applies to every aspect of our lives. Mm-hmm. So. One of the things that uh, I've seen be helpful in premarital counseling and, and for my own marriage, and, and when I began to understand this early on, is that marriage is about so much more than just the two people involved. You know, it's not just my wife, not just me, not just the love we share, not just what she does for me or what I can do for her even, uh, that this really is a living drama of what God has done, is doing for his people and has always planned and purposed to do. And he has called us together to participate in this. So we're in this, this living parable before the world and to the degree that I own the responsibility and embrace it and pursue it, then I am being a reflection and providing a message, another way for the world to get a glimpse of the redemption that Christ has for his bride, the church. And to the degree that Donna is responsive and submissive and embraces that, then she provides a reflection of, yeah, this is what it looks like to be redeemed by Jesus Christ. And man, to, to see that, you know, on those days when you, you think this is really hard and, you know, I'm not sure I love her anymore or, you know, this is that we've, we've run into some problems here and my life could be better over there. If you're thinking right, you just, those, those, those thoughts can't even land in your mind because you say, no, we've been assigned this calling Mm -hmm. and what we're doing in marriage is about so much more Mm -hmm. than just the two of us. And when, when people who are preparing to get married can see that it, it solves a lot of issues before they arise. doesn't mean they're not going to have bumps and struggles and problems. Sometimes drama is exactly the word. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. But if you get this and you own it, you say, okay, God has called me to be a part of the drama of redemption. God's called my wife to be a part of the drama of redemption. She gets to play the role of the one who gets rescued. I get to play the role of the one who gets slaughtered in order to rescue her. And mm-hmm. so, you know, you think, but she doesn't do this. She doesn't. Okay. Well, you know, how, how far has Christ gone in loving you and laying down his life for you. And have you done that yet? You know, Mm -hmm. have you, have you exceeded what Christ has done for you? And until you have met that, then don't even entertain the prospect that this is going to be over. You're going to fight for this. You're going to, you're going to keep working for this. So it's a, it's a wonderful thing. And I'm, I'm looking forward. I haven't used it yet with uh, premarital counseling, but it's on my list. Mm -hmm. uh, We'll be passing this one out for that as well. Mm An open letter about the gospel to the world, right? Yeah, amen. And it's, it, in some ways, it's a really timely thing. I, what's funny is I never would have thought that this would be a political issue when I was writing. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's so helpful. And really, at any time in Christ church, it's really beneficial for us to go through and pour over what it means for us to 
follow after God mm-hmm. in the roles that have been assigned to us. Yeah. And I draw on Shakespeare in this, right? Talking about in Midsummer Night's Dream, the actor who is called to play Pyramus and he wants to go and he wants to be the lion and roar and mm. no, 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 you must, must needs play Pyramus. Well, I'll, I'll be Thisbe. I'll, <laughs> I'll talk in such a sweet voice so high. No, you must play Pyramus. Because this is the role that is assigned to you, and this is where you best serve mm. the drama that's laid out. And our created purpose is not to find our self-actualization. It is to glorify God. Yeah. And this <clears throat> helps us trace out what it means for us yeah. to glorify God in the context of marriage. Mm. Yeah, yeah that, is a, that is an important point. It's a good point to be reminded of you know, people today like to say, well, no, I, I am this or I identify as that and the whole transgender stuff is, is nutty. And I think we need to help our people to begin to remember, begin to think in terms of and say, no, you can't be whatever you want to be. You can be what God says you are. You are what God says you are. Mm-hmm. And you're not what you identify as or think. And that's true ontologically for our being as creatures, mm-hmm. image bearers, men, women, but it's also true for the roles that God assigns to us in the church, in the world, and in, in the home. And uh, to get that straight and to, to kind of embrace it, to get up under it where you're not fighting it, man, it's just like, okay, right. this is the sweet spot. It's yeah. what I'm made for. Not only must we do what we are called to do, what we are purposed to do, that's the only way to be righteous, right? That's the only path of righteousness. But also, I mean, that's the way of blessedness. That's where you find joy. That's where... that's. Where, I mean, when God gives you a purpose and you live outside of that purpose, you're miserable. But when you come in under that purpose, uh, the, he, he just blesses you with so much joy. Mm-hmm. Well, Chris, let's talk for a minute about, uh, I mean, this book came to birth while you've been serving as a pastor. So uh, you <laughs> have undoubtedly preached these themes. I mean, you have you done, have you done it in a biblical theological overview with, with kind of topical them- thematic sermons, or have you just kind of extracted from your regular uh, expositional ministry of going book by book through different places of the Bible? Yeah, I'm a hardcore expository preacher. That's mm-hmm. where I live. That's even how we do our Sunday school classes for the most part at Miller Valley. And so I, Actually, my first preaching series that I did at Miller Valley Baptist Church was through Hosea. Mm. And a lot of the material that wound up in the book for that chapter on Hosea comes from that. And we did, we're still in what we call a thousand foot view series for our Sunday school, where I'm trying to cover each of the books of the Bible as fast as we can and get the big arcs and themes and those Mm. ideas And the first time I kind of did that series, I taught through Song of Solomon so I could kind of prep that material. Mm -hmm. And we've run back to these ideas again and again and again. And I actually did our Sunday afternoon series when I had finally finished the manuscript. I walked a handful of people who were coming to that study all the way through the book from the beginning to the end. And so there's not a piece of this that hasn't been preached, that Mm -hmm. hasn't been taught. And that was really important for me personally because I wanted to write something that the people in my congregation could read. Yeah. And like I said, <laughs> when I first started considering trying to write, I'm in the context of, you know, I'm not going to write a book on justification that's going to rival John Owen, <laughs> right? I'm not going to, I'm not the next great theologian. I'm not the brightest mind that is out there thinking. But I wanted to be able to write 
good, practical, sound theology that was readable for everybody. Yeah. And I think that that was where a lot of the heart came from. Yeah, you say uh, early in the book that you, you're writing for the cheap seats. I think groundlings, is that what the, the <laughs> phrase, right? Uh, yeah. So explain that. I mean, you said, this is my audience. This is who I'm concerned about wanting to minister to. Yeah, so back in the, and I said my background's in theater, right? Yeah. And so in Shakespeare's day, if you go in, and you can actually go to the reconstructed Globe Theater and the cheapest seats weren't even seats. There was just kind of a dirt pit that was there in front of the stage. And the rich people would actually buy the seats that were up high and the, the best seats supposedly were actually where you couldn't really see the play, where you came in and you sat to be able to be seen by all of the other people and to be admired in all of your elaborate dress. But the people that were right in front of the stage, what we think of as the best seats, that really mm. were the best seats for that theatrical presentation were the groundlings, right? <laughs> These uh, penny stinkards, as they called them. <laughs> and you'd just pay a penny to be able to come in and stand in this dirt pit. And those of us who are coming from the, the dark and difficult and ugly places where we've seen the depravity that is truly in us, because we're all sinners, mm. But when we're conscious of that, we have the best seats for the theater of redemption. And yeah. we're able to perceive that grace all the more beautifully. Yeah. That's a wonderful way to portray that. And uh, we're just very grateful that you labored so diligently across many, many years to bring this to completion. And we're glad to have this available on sale as well. And we're going to get you to autograph some copies of it and make those available as well to our listeners. And uh, Chris, we're, we're so happy that you joined us today. Thanks for coming all the way from Arizona uh, to be a part of this podcast. And when you return, please take our greetings back to the congregation and especially to your dad and uh, <laughs> let him know that I'm, I'm glad to get everything sorted, know that he's still there, but he's not there as the Senior pastor, he's there to serve you and the congregation as an associate pastor. That's a great testimony. Oh, it is. It's such a privilege to get to serve alongside of El Jefe, as we call it. <laughs> Very good. Well, thank you for joining us on the Sword and Trial today. We appreciate your support. If this podcast has been helpful to you, uh, would you mind just sharing it with others or liking it and telling people about uh, what Founders is doing with the Sword and the Trial? Why are we here? What is the most important thing in the world? One of our greatest problems is, is forgetting. We, we forget what God has done for us. We forget what God has taught us. We forget things that we have experienced. If we don't pause, if we don't think deeply, if we aren't reminded again and again and again, we forget. It strikes me pretty significantly in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, remember Jesus Christ. Why in the world would Paul tell a pastor to remember Christ? Well, he's not going to forget that Jesus Christ lived and that Jesus Christ taught, but he's going to forget the significance of Christ. Christ is ultimately our mission. The church is the body of Christ. A church has to focus on the supremacy of Christ because that's why we are the church. Christ is supreme overall. The church's great mission is to preach Christ. We're there to win souls.
there to advance Christ's kingdom. The problem with the world is not that they don't agree with me. The problem is that they don't bow the knee to Christ. So that's why we're going to gather to specifically, explicitly focus on the supremacy of Christ, to do our best to remind each other of the centrality of Christ, the beauty of Christ, the glory of Christ. So join us in Fort Myers, Florida, January 18th through 20th, 2024, as we focus on Jesus Christ. I hope to see you there.